Hello and welcome to the In The Pen Podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. This is a podcast about relievers. My name is Jake Crumpler, and as always, I'm joined by Rick Graham, Pitcherless bullpen expert, and we've also got Pitcherless PLV expert, or in fact, the creator of PLV, Kyle Bland himself. Um, I'll start with you, Kyle. How you doing? What have you been up to during the holidays? Hey there, Jake. I'm doing well. Um, just been working on a lot of different things behind the scenes at at Pitcher List, putting out, we have our version one of the projections came out earlier in December. I'm going to be updating those uh, early in January. So a lot of work, doing a lot of cool stuff on the site. Great to hear. And uh, Rick, how are you doing? What have you been up to during the holidays? Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah, Kyle, glad to have you on. Um, thank you for joining us talking PLV. Love, love to hear, you know, what's going on on that side of, of things here. Um, yeah, for me, you know, holidays have been a little bit busy, but it's been a busy week since I'm like the only person at work that's working. So I'm getting a lot of calls and texts and emails about things that must be done. Um, so, you know, trying to just get through to, to New Year's and, you know, you know, get ready for 2024. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what that's like. I've been working a lot recently too. my office does not get too many days off, but we got plenty of people off this week, plenty of people in the entire industry that are off. So mm. I have uh, been working, but there's not too much to be done because of all the uh, people outside of my control that are not working. But I will be off the next two weeks as I travel to Hawaii. I leave next Wednesday for about eight days. So that'll be a nice, nice respite from you know, all the, all the holidays and stuff, but we've got an exciting episode for you all today. We'll be talking as always about some rumors regarding relief pitchers and as well, the transactions from the past week, but the main event of the show will be discussing PLV projections and some of the PLV leaders amongst relievers as we have Kyle on here to help explain how PLV works and and sort of tell us some behind the scenes stuff about why these guys stand out with pitcher lists main metric but we'll start it off as always with some of the rumors that have been swirling over the past week the first one is Rick's Red Sox have had some rumors suggesting that they may be shopping at Kenley Jansen, and that could mean that they're reportedly interested in Robert Stevenson. Well, they are reportedly interested in him, but it could mean that they could actually sign him to be their closer. Um, I'll shoot it to you, Rick, first, since you are the resident Red Sox fan. But do you think there's anything behind these rumors? Do you think they could actually move Kenley and then sort of go for the upgrade with Robert Stevenson? And sort of what would be the point of that? Um, you know, I, I think it's not, I mean, it's pretty well known if anyone's listened to an episode of this that I like Robert Stevenson. So I'd be all for this trend, this, you know, yeah. going from Jansen to Stevenson. Um, I do think we we'll start with just Jansen. I I do think that it, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge what the Red Sox are trying to do. It's like they're allegedly in on guys like Yamamoto and Otani, but they never, you know, they never really made any competitive offers. Um, it does seem like they might be looking to, cut, to even like cut costs even more. So maybe that would make sense to move on from Jansen on, you know, the last year of his deal. Um, that said, I don't think I would buy, I don't think that they're, I would buy that they're shopping him, but then, you know, the Stevenson news, if they're really interested in him, then maybe it makes more sense. Um, I, I would love to see, I think, you know, the, 
the goal for this team isn't to win next year. I think it's 25, 26. That's the kind of the range they're looking for. So that fits more if they, if they want to give Stevenson maybe like a four-year deal since he's a little bit younger. Um, definitely will come in cheaper uh, on the yearly value. So yeah, I, I kind of see it does make sense. It is kind of an interesting fit. Uh, I will say, though, the one thing with Stevenson, as much as I love him, I am a little concerned, and this is just purely speculative, that you know the Rays have had a pretty big history of guys getting injured and Tommy John, and you know they brought him in and they just told him to throw his slider harder. And I don't know, just like having, you know, throwing your slider like three miles per hour harder, that feels like it's not that great on your elbow, or that seems like it wouldn't be great on your elbow. So I do have a little concern from that for Stevenson when it comes to a long-term contract, but... I mean, I still would take a chance. I would take a chance on him. Uh, probably lower, definitely lower annual value than Jansen money wise. So, yeah, if they can make that swap, I would be all for it. Totally fair. Do you think if Kenley does get shipped out, that he remains in the closer role for whichever team he he lands in? In in other words, which teams would he have to land with to remain a closer? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, for I, I haven't even thought about this, but the first thing that popped into my head was, what if he goes back to L.A.? Um, I don't know. If, I mean, Phillips was great last year, but they still seem to be wanting to find an alternative or a, maybe not a replacement, but someone who, you know, they can have as a as a backup option. Um, I, I think, yeah, like we've talked about, it's either... If he's going to go to a contender, which is, I mean, I would think that that would be the, those would be the teams that would be willing to to bring him in. There's not a lot of options for the closer role right now. Um, the Cubs, perhaps, maybe the Rangers. I think the Rangers, but the Rangers are they love bringing in veteran pitchers, so yeah. I, I think that could be a, a, a fit that makes sense. I think Bochi that that kind of all makes sense um, there. So yeah, it all depends on where he lands, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if the Rangers, I think it's going to come down to once Hater signs, I think then there might be some more traction in the potential Jansen uh, movement. Yeah, and uh, Kyle, I'll, I'll turn it to you now. We were talking about Robert Stevenson prior to hit and record, but why does he stand out in terms of PLV, uh, whether that be positively or negatively? Yeah, so one of the things that really pops about Stevenson is, of course, his results are... I mean, they're, they're just outrageous. The dude's got um, just wild uh, K rates, great like control, crazy stuff. But one of the things that PLV will always struggle with is guys who are like at the extremes as far as their pitch characteristics. So things like how a specific pitch type moves, things like um, how it separates from his fastball to something like his splitter or his slider or his cutter, um, what pitches he utilizes the most and in what counts. So all of these things will uh, all get folded into um, what a pitcher's PLV is. And Barbara Stevenson just does so much interesting stuff. It's a lot of pitches that are either like one of one or are very kind of extreme. Uh, the one that, that stands out the most is that he leads with his cutter, uh, which is, I mean, not, it's not common. It's a Corbin Burns does it, uh, off the top of my head, but it's, it's not, it's definitely rarer than not. Um, and it's, it's an interesting cutter cause it's like a gyro cutter. It doesn't have great vertical movement. It doesn't have a lot of arm side movement. It just really just drills down like a, 
a fast slider almost. And then to play with that, he's got the 97 mile an hour four seamer, but that four seamer is kind of weird too, because it has a ton of arm side run. So it's almost acting more like a sinker. And then he's got his splitter, but the splitter comes in fast, but it also has rise to it. It has positive vertical break, which is weird for a splitter. You know, you think that that's the, the pitch that just the bottom drops out on it. So he's got a lot of things that are interesting and unique in their own right and then when you fold them all into like a single arsenal that's going to be something that a model like plv that's trying to like glean information and insights from historical comps that if something doesn't really have historical comps it's going to struggle to really pick out the nuances and the benefits of that yeah so it's not necessarily saying that he is bad at all but that it's interesting to show the disparity between his success and the number that PLV spits out. And it suggests that he's a unique pitcher and whether that means buying into PLV's uh, relative distaste for him um, or understanding that he is a unique pitcher and being just being like, Hey, the, the results and, and the, the stuff speaks for itself. You, you sort of got to buy into that. So um, it, it's definitely something to consider, especially with fantasy drafts starting to pick up with the new year coming around. But thank you for the insight on Robert Stevenson. We'll move on to our another, our other rumor and uh, we'll have some more Josh Hader talk as he's still the top reliever on the board. And as we Seemingly expected, Josh Hader wants to break Edwin Diaz's record contract for the highest paid relief pitcher of all time. When I did contract predictions on my personal podcast a few weeks ago, my co-host and I had sort of disparate feelings on this in a fashion of they were also the same exact feelings. I thought he would try to break the total contract. So I, I think he was at 102.5 million. Uh, Diaz was, I thought, I thought he would try to break, break that number while my co-host, uh, contrastingly believe that he would want to break the AAV record. So that will be something to watch. What do you, what do you guys think, Rick? Do you think he's going to go for the total contract value or for the AAV record? I uh, think, <laughs> I think, I mean, for him, I would imagine it's total contract. Um, you know, get get over a hundred million now, and obviously you're yeah you're pretty pretty set for for life after that. Um, I just can't I can't see anyone, and it does sound like that's what he's eyeing. He wants something over a hundred million. I can't really see that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a little naive. But I I, I mean Edwin Diaz is just for me a, a little bit. You know, he's far. I don't I don't want to say far and away better than Hater, but I'm I'm more confident about Edwin Diaz than than Josh Hader. Uh, especially coming after after the year. Hader I know had a good year, but there was still some couple red flags that like I just don't know if I want to make that type of commitment to a closer. Mm-hmm. Um but I he's gonna push for it. He's gonna hold out for it. And you know one of these teams is gonna get des- it only takes one team to get desperate. It could be the Rangers, could be the Cubs. Um maybe it's a surprise team like the Dodgers, Phillies, Yankees, I don't know. Um yeah I I think it makes sense for him to be looking for that at this point, but I don't, I don't know if he's going to get it. I think it might be just shy of that a hundred million. 
Yeah, I have a feeling that they'll sort of stretch out the years to help him get to that, that full yeah. contract. Yeah, but there there is the possibility of maybe a, a shorter deal so that he can get that AV uh, record. But w- what do you think, Kyle? Uh, you think he's going to go for the total contract record or the AV record for reliever? Yeah, I got to think it's total contract. I mean, I just I really struggle to see guy uh, teams really putting that much year-to-year value into a single future just like that's my read of what the market's like um and it's also like you can do something sign him for five years maybe that fifth year is a club option so that you you kind of cover yourself a little bit on the back end and yeah like i i get why you know he wants to do that for a while you know he's kind of been in that conversation for best reliever in baseball but it is like there are a lot of red flags too that pop up. I mean, it was just last year he had a ERA over five, and like yeah, it's fifty innings, small sample. But even his, you know, his xFIP, his FIP, his xERA, all in like the low to mid threes. Like that's not you know groundbreaking stuff from a reliever. That's you know pretty good. That's not biggest contract in history good. Versus someone like Edwin Diaz. You know, he put up a fifty percent strikeout rate across a full right. season, and I mean, I know it's again only like sixty innings, but like that's bananas. And Hater also has control issues. He's gonna pretty consistently have a double digit walk rate, and that's always gonna be scary from a guy that you need to close down games and leverage. So I I don't see it. I think a team, you know, like you guys were saying, it just takes one team. I think one team might throw an extra year or two at him and that'll just tick him over that, you know, biggest total dollar contract. But I, I, I don't know that I would be that team. Yeah. I mean, you guys clearly both have reservations on his skills and and how much success he's going to have going forward, but it would, it would be interesting if it's like, I don't know, a team, a team like the Rockies is just Hmm. interested (laughs) in, you know, we'll bring you on for six years. We'll let you break that, that AAV deal, but, or the, the total contract, record but you're not going to have many shots at winning ball games so it will i think it will come down to what he prefers and what he weighs more than other like right. does he care more about that contract record than he does about winning or being in a city that he likes or or in a familiar situation my uh contract predictions had him going to the cubs and with the way the cubs have been going <laughs> this offseason not acquiring any major league talent it doesn't seem likely, but I, I do think there's going to be a team that sort of finds value in his uh, services, just taking him multiple years. So I, maybe it'll be like a rebuilding team that doesn't quite have a closer of the future. And uh, a few years from now, he is their closer, but they get him on a on a cheaper AV. A team when I mentioned a couple teams, you mentioned the Rockies, but a team that no one mentioned that you know makes more and more sense because it does seem like Hater just from from my point of view, it seems like he's just looking for he's looking to get paid. I mean, he 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 refused to come into games late last year because he was trying to like preserve himself. So and he keeps you know this keeps getting floated that he wants to break the the record. Uh, the Angels, I, they're they're trying to they want to spend money, they want to throw money around. I feel like that just that fit makes a ton of sense for both they teams for both parties. Contract. But like I mean, hate I mean, just yeah, haters like the 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 K percentage has been declining year after year, career high walk rate last year. Yeah, I just I would want to stay away. Yeah, I could also see like the the Nationals. Maybe they don't really have any. Ooh. 
they want to make some money. I think. Yeah, exactly. Like just just to give some hope for the future. Um, and they they've been going more for those one year deals, guys that they could trade at the deadline. Jaime uh, mm-hmm. Candelario, for example, last year. Um, but maybe haters a guy that they can bring in and sort of have an eye mm-hmm. towards the future with. But this is all speculation. <laughs> we I don't think we'll be finding out honestly until February or March with a guy like him, especially if he's holding out for a contract like that. Maybe, uh, maybe yeah, yeah, we may not get conclusion there for a while but we do have some conclusions as we've got basically six notable relievers that have signed contracts in the past week um we'll run through those real quick we'll hit a break and then we'll get into some plv discussion um but we'll start off with uh the tigers signing shelby miller a right-hander who pitched for the dodgers last year they got him for one year and three million dollars i'll start with kyle on this one kyle what is plv think of shelby miller and do you think he has any sort of fantasy impact in this bullpen? The late innings are, are pretty locked in, but Shelby Miller was not bad last year. Uh, yeah, well, I'll start. I'll start at the end there. Um, as far as how he fits into the Tigers' plans, I I don't see it. I think he's going to be pretty far down the pecking order as far as like late inning leverage. Mostly because um, I'm a big Jason Foley guy. I he was one of the the got the PLV darlings from last season because of his ground ball rate. It really believed that he was able to have legit contact suppression. But I think he's he's a really good option, and he was ended up being great in holds leagues. Um, and then Lange is the closer. Like between the two of them, I think they've got that eighth and ninth inning locked down pretty hard. I don't know that. Shelby Miller really brings a lot to the table as far as that. And then the other thing I'm scared of is whenever teams that aren't known for their development get players from the Dodgers who are incessant about player development and tweaking and trying to maximize every ounce of talent out of their players that I think that they probably got the best that they could out of Shelby Miller. And like, there's a reason that they let him, you know, go. I, I think it also makes sense too. Good for him for cashing in on a sub two ERA season, but I just think the Dodgers are like, all right, we got we got what we needed. It's not it's not worth it to us, and so I'm always dubious when a team like the Dodgers doesn't see it. Um, what a team like the Tigers can do with it, totally. Um, and then even on top of Jason Foley and Alex Lang, they've got. Andrew Chafin, who they signed earlier this offseason. So there are plenty of guys there and even some young guys that are more interesting. Yeah, Rick, well, do you echo the sentiments that Kyle has about him not really factoring into the late innings here? Yeah, I mean, I still think he's, those guys also will vest. Uh, Tyler Holton, both also kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I think I don't know who's I saw there was a quote. I don't know if it was from the GM or the manager. Um, saying that Miller will be used like in high leverage situations or he'd be like high up there in the pecking order, which I thought was surprising. It's like, they're, you're only, only, you're only giving him $3 million. It's not like you're, you know, it's not a huge investment, but um, he did have a, a good year, but you like, like Kyle said, it's just the Dodgers kind of have their way of, you know, bringing guys like Shelby Miller in for a year and turning them into sub two year a relievers and, I, you know, there's not a ton in the profile that is, you know, gets you excited. Um, I think from, you know, for his point of view, it's a good fit because he's going to a 
pretty pitcher friendly ballpark and he's does give up a good amount of fly balls. So that helps him out maybe, but um, yeah, I don't, you know, and I don't think he's got any value in holds leagues right now. I think he's, you know, um, still a wait and see, see how, you know, if he can bump up his strikeout rate and get the walks down, I, you know, maybe we're talking about some value in deeper holds leagues, but for now there's not really anything fantasy relevant here. Yeah. It's hard to tell if, any of the changes he made were super legit, but he did make a pretty drastic change to his pitch mix. He was basically a four seamer slider cutter guy for many years. And then this past year, he incorporated a splitter a quarter of the time. So that made, that was his second most used pitch. It wasn't particularly great, but maybe that helped his fastball play up a little bit more because it really had a incredible called strike rates, 36 0.6% CSW that's in the 96 percentile and it's not like he's throwing 100 miles per hour average 93 and a half so we'll see if that uh, splitter is still in play when he joins the Tigers but the next transaction we had was the Padres claiming Luis Pat- Patino off waivers I think he was on the Rays and then the White Sox yeah. Um but that's interesting because he came up through their system before they traded him as part of the anybody remember because Blake Stone, Blake Stone. Oh, that may, that sounds right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he was a big starting pitching prospect. Um, he was like never really able to stay healthy um, and never really had success when he did come up and pitch. So that'll be interesting to see how he's used with the Padres. If they do try to convert him back to being a starter, he was still starting games as early as, as recent as last year for the Rays. But like I said, not a lot of success in the majors, but in the minors still uh, not a lot of success either, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll, we'll see how that, how that one turns out. Uh, Rick, do you have any sort of excitement about this move? Do you think him going back to a organization that he's familiar with might yeah. allow him to tap back into his potential? I mean, he's still going to be only 24. That's the thing. He's, he's only 24 still. So uh, I know he keeps bouncing around because even he, he's I'm pretty sure he's out of options, right? Yeah, he's out of options. Um, but he's still only 24. And he was, I mean... There is a time where he was like a top 20, like almost like a consensus top 20, 25 uh, prospect in baseball. And that wasn't maybe three years ago. So I think, you know, yeah, going back to his former team, maybe he's got a little bit more comfort there. I don't know. Maybe something works out. Maybe he is just destined to be a reliever. Uh, And and why it's kind of interesting is because while this bullpen is pretty, you know, it's deep ish it's you know there's still not even with the addition of matsui who we'll talk about next it's you know it's still kind of a very open bullpen where save opportunities who knows they could they could definitely be uh be opening up you know at some point in the middle of the season so maybe patino gets off to a good start in the bullpen maybe he can get some save opportunities or at least some high leverage hold chances Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the PLV projections are not rosy on Patino, and his pitcherless player page is ice blue. But Kyle, what changes do you think Patino could make to possibly take him, help help him tap into the potential that he clearly showed for multiple years in the minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the thing is PLV and especially these projections. They're the the root of them, the the base of them is going to be 
a lot of, you know, what have you done in the majors? And I mean, mm -hmm. in the majors, he only has like, what, 60? Oh, no, he was in Tampa for 77 innings. But like, you know, under 200 innings, last two seasons, not a ton. Yeah, up and down between the minors and the majors. So that's always going to be tough. I'm going through and looking through um, some of his, his pitch characteristics. He's got, you know, he he throws heat, you know, the fastball's ninety-five, sinker's ninety-four and a half. So he's got Velo. I think the problem is is just the the shape of, of those pitches isn't good. It's it's middling rise, middling mm -hmm. movement for both of them. Uh same thing for his slider. I like he's got good release extension. He's almost at a seven foot extension, so that's on top of the batter quick. But like I there's just not a lot that really pops. There's not a lot of interest to it i mean it would be something of like maybe he needs a grip change maybe he needs to do something of he pivot from he his slider is kind of in between a the gyro bullet slider and a sweeper and maybe he just leans into one of those more than the other it, it's just tough because like yeah like you guys were saying i, I was just checked on fan graphs and he was, yeah, the 11th prospect overall in 2021. So yeah, three years ago, almost top 10 status. And now, you know, how the mighty have fallen, but it's, mm. it's like, I don't know, you know, I didn't pay too much attention to him back then. So I don't know how, how much is different now, you know, maybe there just wasn't the emphasis on the shape of his pitches, but you know, like you guys said, he's, he's only going to be 24. There are a lot of guys, you know, in the minors still at 24, you know, and he, who aren't even necessarily doing well, who can still pop. So I, I think hope springs eternal on a, on a profile, this young, you know, post hype prospect kind of guy. But yeah, for me, just looking at, at some of the, some of the shapes, some of the, the stats on his individual pitches. And it's, it's just, I, he, there's, there's a lot of room to improve, but I don't necessarily know how he does it, whether, you know, it's, changing that grip trying to implement a new pitch or even just changing locations like i'm looking at his four seamer right now and he doesn't locate it at all up he yeah. throws it down and glove side which is pretty rare for a righty um for anyone really with a with their four seamer so maybe it's even just an approach adjustment that that's that's what it needs to tick and then you know like you you mentioned before is he going to be a reliever are they going to try and stretch him out is he going to be mm -hmm. like a weird fireman in between role that'll kind of inform the changes he needs to make whether he needs to try and go longer or whether he could throw gas as much as he can and, and maybe tick up some of the stuff so a lot of options for him hopefully something works out because i always like to see you know guys succeed but um so far not a lot to go on just a lot of hope yeah you know and it's and it's sort of hard to have that hope when a guy needs to make such a massive change to mm -hmm. his either pitch profile or his approach and he just left the race. <laughs> it's like, uh, right. if the race can do it. Uh, I'm not really sure any Oof. other team can do it, but yeah, like, like we said many times, he's super young and has shown in the past to have lots of potential. We have a few more signings to go over, but first we're going to take a quick break. And we're back on in the pen. Jake Crumpler joined by Rick Graham and Kyle Bland. I feel like that rhymes a little, but uh, anyway, uh, we're sticking with the Padres. They signed 
Japanese relief pitcher, Yuki Matsui. He's a lefty. They signed him for five years and $28 million, which seems like a steal when you look at his numbers from NPB. He was a pitcher that consistently had ERAs under two with strikeout rates over nine per nine innings. And, uh, he also was a closer for, for many years, and it'll be really interesting to see how he fares stateside and also how he factors into San Diego's bullpen. I'm going to start with Rick on this one. Rick, we sort of touched on it at the end of last podcast about whether or not he could factor into the closer role here. And considering his success in MPB, I would side with yes, especially as you mentioned with Patino, there's not a lot of competition in this bullpen outside of maybe just Robert Suarez, but there are some reservations about how his stuff might transfer over. He's a a mid to low nineties fastball guy from the left side. He's got a diminutive frame. I think he's five foot eight, um, but he's got a pretty nice curveball and a really good splitter. Do you think he is going to be the closer on opening day? Or do you think this is going to be something where it's like, we got to wait it out and, and see like the Padres are going to want to see how he fares during uh, legitimate real games. Yeah. I don't think, I think it's too early to tell, but I do, you know, think at this point, you know, if you're drafting early, if you're drafting in January, um, you know, take B or I would be interested in either Matsui or Suarez, whichever one probably, you know, doesn't go off the board first. So, you know, wait and see, let, let someone else take one. And then, you know, later on, you know, grab Suarez or Matsui and see what happens. Cause I, I, I like Suarez a lot and he signed a similar contract, right? Or uh, last year, it was like a five yeah, year. After yeah. After one year in, in the majors. Yeah. All right. So it's interesting. I mean, those are pretty good deals relatively speaking when you, you, when you look at the yeah it's so cheap five years 28 especially with the way that top end relievers right. are going right now i mean the under he six got, million he got uh Emilio pagan money yeah right <laughs> and, and you have them locked up for five years under that so it's uh-huh. like i mean good for the padres um it's definitely worth the risk because yeah there is definitely risk from what i've i've seen different reports on him where you know, some are more just like, yeah, he's like pretty much average, you know, fastball average, like every, every pitch he has is just kind of okay. Uh, I've seen some that are better, you know, that are more, you know, glowing, but um, e- either way, I mean, $28 million for reliever is still a commitment. So he's going to be in the, he's going to be either a setup, the top setup guy there mm-hmm. or closer to start the year. Um, what do you <sighs> need to see in spring training to convince you to be in on him and maybe, lock him in as the closer in San Diego. Hmm. Well, cause I mean, can't really tell based on usage in spring training, but I'd be interested just to see, um, he can sometimes get some, you know, and like read the tea leaves on usage. Like if he comes in before or after Suarez could be a little bit of a tell, but just, you know, what us see what his command is like, especially like that's always kind of not always, but that's one of the big issues with pitchers coming over from, from, uh, Japan or even Korea it's it's the uh you know different ball um mm-hmm. getting used to that especially these guys with who throw splitters it's it's you know here you hear that a lot so seeing how his command looks um I guess tempo too if like you know just you know managing pitch clock and all that um yeah it's it's gonna be an adjustment but if his command's good and you know he's his his stuff looks at least 
you know, if, if, if they're getting good grades and, you know, in PLV or stuff plus or whatever it is, uh, you know, that's going to be nice to see because we, we really don't have a lot on him right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, with his potential usage sort of shrouded in fog, uh, my next question for you, Kyle, is going to be somewhat different, and it's going to be more of a process question. How do you go about analyzing pitchers coming over from other leagues without any major league data, without any stat cast and any kind of stuff? How, first of all, do you factor that into your projections? And second of all, like, what what is what do you look for when you're looking at? What kind of stats are you looking at from NPB that you weigh the most? And this is sort of a question that our listeners will be able to use to analyze other pitchers coming over, whether that be uh, Imanaga or Yamamoto. But uh, yeah, what, what's your process in, in analyzing pitchers coming over from Japan without major league data? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the toughest things is of course, like how different the league is. And I mean, in terms of there's the the psyche, the mentality, what hitters and pitchers are, are even trying to do, you know? So it's, it's very important to kind of, I guess I, I like consider like index the stats of like, well, what's like a league average strikeout rate for MPB and how does that relate to the US? And then you can do that for both, you know, pitchers and hitters. Same thing with, with walk rates, home run rates, and especially and for pitchers, you know, those are going to be your big three, you know, your, your FIP components. So th- those will, those will help really inform projections. You can also see what's the run environment how are different events how do they translate to run scoring you know is it a a higher run scoring environment a lower run scoring environment you know and in the mpb it's a little more small ball stringing hits together rather than guys just going you know three true outcome yard walk or strikeout so those are important things to to kind of try and get an idea of what what his talent level is, you know, try and be like, okay, here's what his ERA was. How did he get there? How was it, you know, through strikeouts? Was it limiting walks? Was it managing contact? Was it getting lucky? You know, did he have a high left on base rate? Do you have a low Babbitt? You know, the stuff like that, that you would use to analyze major league hit uh, pitchers, you know, with, the, with higher level stats like those, but translating it to well how does that league relate to how does that uh to the major leagues how does that you know translate try and make it as one-to-one as possible great well i'm super excited to see how matsui looks stateside that's one of my favorite things about spring training is, is seeing these players that we really have never seen i know he pitched a little bit in the wbc but it's exciting to see how they they fare once they're in their new threads We've got three more signings the first of those three is the twins signing josh stalmont to a one-year 950 thousand dollar deal the twins have a pretty settled late end of their bullpen with Yohan Duran and Griffin Jacks and even Brock Stewart and Caleb Theobar. So it doesn't really look like he will be factoring in, especially because he's coming off of injury. Rick, is there any fantasy relevance for Stama in the future? I, I'm trying to look, I'm looking, I'm trying to find something to give me hope. I don't, <laughs> I mean, he was good in 2021. Um, but he really, it's really fallen off for him the last two seasons. I, I don't think. I mean, sure, for nine hundred and fifty k, it's it's worth a gamble, I guess, on a guy who, who can throw, you know, upper nineties. But, um, yeah, he's he's dealt with a bunch of injuries. He has just not been able to find the strike zone consistent consistently enough. Where, 
Um, he's been reliable. So yeah, I, I don't think there's anything here. I, I the Twins do have a pretty good bullpen too. I don't, you know, he's he's even when he is healthy, I don't know what role he would have there. So yeah, I don't I don't think there's going to be much if any fantasy value here for him. Yeah, and like you mentioned him throwing upper 90s, his fastball velocity has fallen each year right. since 2020 when he peaked at around 98 miles per hour on his four-seamer, went down to 96 and a half, then to 96. He's now all the way down to 95 and a half and only getting older, and the success has gone in the same direction as his velocity down. Um, so I would not buy into this one. I will uh, leave Kyle's analysis on the on the chopping block, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> Whoa! I will leave it on the back burner. There we go. Um, I don't want to waste Kyle's time analyzing somebody that's likely not to see any fantasy rosters. Though the next one is Tim Hill. He signed with the White Sox today for one year and one point eight million dollars. That's a little bit more money, about twice as much as Stalmont got. Um, the White Sox do not have a bullpen that is loaded. That's for sure they got a bunch of young guys they got Gregory Santos as as the closer they got Garrett Crochet coming back from Tommy John surgery and outside of that there's nobody that you can really say has had a lot of success in the past if you're thinking about the immediate past Tim Hill has not had immediate success but before that in 2021 and 2022 those were back-to-back years in which uh, Hill had combined for an ERA of 3.59 he's not a big strikeout guy but I'll, I'll let Kyle go first here how does a guy like Tim Hill find success when he's throwing, you know, low nineties and he's not striking anybody out. And it's not like he's got super low walk numbers either. What does a guy like him have to do to stand out in PLV? And I'm not saying that he does stand out in PLV, but uh, how does a guy like this find success? So it is really funny. He does not really stand out in PLV, you know, good or bad, pretty, pretty middling. But I, I was like, I kept thinking like, man, why does his name seem familiar? It's because he's like the like sidearm submarine kind of thrower where he, his fastball has like no rise to it, but it gets 20 inches of horizontal break because he's just throwing it straight from the side. So this is, this is another one of those guys where it's a, just a super weird profile that it's a, you know, yeah, it's a 90 mile an hour fastball, but it, it it's coming at you from such a weird release point. The movement isn't how you expect it to be. So he's just like kind of living on funk. And I think that can work in a, in especially coming from a reliever. Um, we talked a little bit about it at first pitch with Paul Seawald that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you only see a guy, you know, if you're only in town for a three game series, you might only see a reliever for two innings. And so that's going to be, maybe your lineup sees him a couple guys. will see him twice. Maybe if he has a really bad series, but it's like, you can get by on funk. I think where the issue starts to get into, and I don't think uh, he's going to have to worry about this on the white Sox, but in the playoffs where hitters start to get more views of you, that like the funk, shots fired. <laughs> sorry, shots fired Chicago. But uh, yeah, I don't think the, the funk starts to, to wear off as more guys get to see, get more looks on him. So it might be one of those things where, you know, his division opponents might do a little better guys, you know, inter, you know, interleague might do a little worse it, that he's just going to live and die by how weird he is, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. 
He's uh yeah. he's great at getting ground balls, but Rick, you see any way where he finds his way onto one of your fantasy teams? No, oh no, this is the guy. No, no, not even if he's getting unless he's getting like every single hold that the White Sox can muster up because uh-huh. just the lack of strikeouts is already. He has over the last over the past two seasons, he's thrown ninety two innings and has fifty one strikeouts. Um, nice. It's really it's just, it's it's kind of it kind you kind of feel for the guy because before they in- implemented the three batter rule, I mean he was gonna be he was destined to be like he was he's so good against lefties because of that arm angle and um mm-hmm. you know he would have been making at least five million dollars a year I feel like now um so it's yeah it's it's tough for for him that he has to you know face righties now but that's just what it is because he doesn't really have anything to come to combat right handed uh, hitters. Fair. Um, and then the last one we've got is the Rangers signing Diego Castillo and somehow they got him on a minor league deal. This is a guy that has had a lot of success throughout his career all the way up until last year where he dealt with injuries, only tossed eight and two thirds, was in the, the minor leagues for a little bit, just uh, for a lot of bit, but he did not have success in the minors. Um, but anyway, this is a guy that for Many years in a row, five years in a row, he was one of the most reliable relievers in baseball for the the Rays and the Mariners. Now he leaves the Mariners, stays in the AL West, heads to Texas in a bullpen that I wouldn't say is one that's super deep again, but he should be able to factor into it at some point, I have to imagine, especially if they can help him get back on track. I think something was up last year. His fastball velocity has been falling throughout his career, but it fell dramatically all the way down to 94 miles per hour last year. Rick, do you see him factoring into the Rangers bullpen at all? Do you think this is a a sneaky signing by the Rangers? I mean, it may be, it could be, it's worth, I mean, a guy like this is definitely worth taking a, you know, shot on for a minor league contract. Uh, I don't have any faith. I wouldn't be, it's not even like a watch list guy at this point. It's just, I mean, it's, it's wild to see what his career kind of fell off since, you know, mid 2022. It's just, he has not been the same guy. And I, you know, it's after, you know, he was looking like the closer of the future in Tampa Bay and then Seattle. And now it's really fallen off dramatically. And there's, yeah, like there's gotta be some sort of health. I'm not entirely sure what he was going through last year, but there's certainly some sort of health issues um, with that type of drop in velocity. But I mean, if you're Texas, yeah, it's worth, you know, bring him in. Uh, see how he how he fares in the spring in the spring and at AAA to start the year. And if he, you know, if they get something to work for him, they get something to click. Then, you know, you found gold and a guy who was once a you know one of the top relievers in baseball. Almost, I mean, it, 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 he really was with Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, for, for Kyle, how do you factor sort of a, a small sample, but having it be the most recent one and and be so poor like how much are you weighing a year like Diego Castillo's 2023 versus his previous five years of success yeah so one of the things that goes into the projections is you know like you said it's it's recent performance I'm using the last kind of three years right now with obviously 2023 being the the heaviest weighted the most important but one of the things that also goes into that is within each year I tend to regress it um, regress all of the stats based on playing time. So, you know, if a guy throws, 
you know, 60, 70 innings as a reliever, 200 as a starter, like, you know, your, your full season workloads, they're not really going to be, they're not, I'm not going to regress their stats too much. You know, what they did is what they are. But for someone like Castillo, I don't really have a lot of faith, you know, good or bad, that what he showed last year is going to be a lot of what informs uh, what he's going to do this year. That I would actually, because it's such a small sample, that um, 2022 and 2021 are probably going to have more of a weight on what I think his 2024 will be or what the projections think his 2024 will be. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it's always interesting. These guys, you know, Edwin Diaz is another one that he didn't even have anything last year. So how do you handle that? But for, for a guy like Castillo who had something, but it's not a lot, I think the, the tried and true method is you, you really need to regress that down so that you're not making a lot of bold ideas off of a very small sample. Makes sense. Well, only the in the pen crew could make 45 minutes out of Shelby Miller, (laughs) Luis Patino, Josh Stalmont, and Tim Hill. But we're going to take one more break. And when we get back, we'll have some more in-depth PLV discussion. And we're back. Jake Crumpler here with Rick Graham and Kyle Bland. We are talking relievers and we'll be discussing how they fare in pitcher lists proprietary PLV projections and uh, some of the leaders in PLV as we uh, from last year um, and, and sort of how we we think of them going forward but first while we have Kyle here I think it'd be great if he could explain sort of what goes into PLV in general and how that how it factors into pitcher lists projections yeah so I love talking all things PLV you know behind the scenes especially their projections so yeah, this is a great topic. I, I covered it a little bit on our presentation at PitchCon last year. Uh, go watch that. I have slides if anybody ever wants to see them. But the uh, the gist of PLV is we're trying to figure out was that a good pitch? Was that a bad pitch? And the way that we get to that is there are three main kind of components that go into what makes a pitch a pitch. The first one are going to be like kind of your categories is the pitcher righty or lefty is the batter righty or lefty uh what's the count you know is it a two strike count three ball count etc and then what style of pitch is it is it a fastball is it a breaking ball is it an off-speed pitch so that's kind of our first component that is more of like yes or no questions and then the second component is going to be your stuff so that's your velo that's your movement profile and then especially for off-speed and uh, breaking pitches, it's also how does that relate to your fastball? How much separation are you getting in terms of speed, in terms of drop, uh, arm side, glove side movement, all that good stuff. And finally, uh, we have our location component. It's very important to know where a pitch lands, actually. Um, and so that's that's something that goes into it. And especially one of the one of the things that I've I've noticed is the the strike zone kind of changes as the count changes so something that may be a called strike in one count might not be called there as often as in another count and then another thing that i don't know that a lot of people uh really understand is like the rule book strike zone is a rectangle but how it's called is actually an oval and so if you dot your corners you might actually get robbed of a couple called strike calls because they're not always called there called uh called strikes there by the the textbook rule book definition so those are the 
three big groups of stats that go into it. And then I feed it into a machine learning model and compare it against um, uh, all pitches since 2020. And so I use historical results on those pitches to inform how uh, well, how good or bad kind of that pitch is and how I get to how good or bad it is, is I compare and I generate likelihoods for things like how often is it a swinging strike? How often is it a ball? How often is it a ball in play? And then if it's a ball in play, how often is it an out versus how often is it a hard hit fly ball? You know, so that's either a double or a home run. So from those characteristics of the pitch, I can generate this nice like suite of each individual outcome. And then each of those has a value. You know, your homers are super valuable. A swinging strike is super valuable to the pitcher. Um, and so then all those go together and that number ends up getting translated into PLV. So PLV is also a zero to 10 scale on each pitch. So like a pitch that's a 10 is something that's going to have like either a killer swinging strike rate in a two strike count. So almost a guaranteed strikeout or something that's going to have like a really bad, um, bad ball likelihood. So it's, you know, high ground ball, low exit velo, or a high pop-up percentage, something that's like almost an automatic out in the field. Those are good PLV outcomes. And then the, the opposite, your zeros are something like, you know, a, an obvious ball in a 3-0 count. You know, you just miss the zone. Yeah, that's gonna that's a walk. Like it's a free base or um, pitches that, because we know what handedness the batter is and the location of a pitch, you can also kind of know like, is that going to be a hit by pitch? If it's a hit by pitch, that's a really bad pitch is what it comes down to. Um, so that's kind of the process of turning the raw characteristics of the pitch into outcome probabilities. And then those get transmitted into kind of our final one PLV number that tells you how good or bad that individual pitch was. And then you can average those across uh, a pitch type or across a player's season. You can, and you can slice and dice, you know, how do they do against righties, lefties, that kind of thing. So it's, it's a very kind of in-depth sandbox. It's really fun to, to play around in and poke and prod and move stuff around. And I, I really like it. I know, you know, Nick really loves it. I, I'm sure a lot of people have been doing, I've seen a lot of cool articles, a lot of cool references. So I'm always happy to see what people do with it. And I'm happy to kind of provide this, this toy box, if you will. Great. I think uh, people will be able to understand PLV a little bit more. Uh, not enough, though, to steal your formulas <laughs> or anything. Um, but I think before we look forward to 2024, it's good to look back at the 2023 PLV leaders among relievers. And the top name is one that <laughs> stands out because this guy had a 4.35 year A and a 1.39 whip last year. But Alex Facia of the Dodgers led relievers with a 5.55 PLV, 5.57. Um, and that's very surprising considering how few high leverage situations he pitched in and, and how little success he had. But this is a guy that did have back-to-back -back years for the Dodgers in 2021 and 2022 with ERAs below 2.30 and strikeout rates well above 33%. So I, I think this is somebody that we have to have more faith in 2024 um rick do you think he could be like the second setup second setup guy in la like the top lefty in that bullpen 
Yeah, I think I like him more. I, I like him better than Ferguson. Uh, Victor Gonzalez isn't there anymore. I, I think, way, like you said, I think he can be the like secondary setup guy there behind Gratterall. I I mean, Trinan and, and Hudson are the bigger names, but they're older coming back from, you know, serious injuries. Uh, so I have really, I don't have much, um, you know, faith in them returning to their, you know, their past years. And uh, look what Vezia, I know he, he, Vezia really, really struggled to start the year. The first month and a half was just awful for him. And, you know, I, I hated that. I, I was like, you know, upsetting because I was really high on him entering the year because 2021 and 2022, he was really good. Um, you know, I checked all the boxes and then, yeah, got off to a bad start. But the second half of last year, he was awesome. He, he, he was, you know, if the Dodgers were able to make a little bit more of a playoff push, if their starting rotation could, you know, hang on there, they you know, I think Vezia would have been a would be a more well known name if they if they you know got a little further there because he was becoming one of their you know more their go to relievers after you know Phillips and Gratterall. So yeah, I, I I think you know it's shocking. I think how you know you know high he is up on here, but I I, I don't think it's crazy to, to think that he can't be a top you know a, a, a valuable holds league option, especially with um what that bullpen is right now now if they go out and get hater it kind of you know limits some things but for now i, I think vezzy is a, a good a good sleeper target and holds leagues kyle what makes him stand out amongst all the other relievers yeah the i mean the biggest thing is his his four seamer that he gets just wild uh vertical break out of it he gets almost 19 inches of induced vertical break which is elite like top of the league level stuff um he doesn't have, you know, he has pretty average velo release extension, um, horizontal movement too. He does a better than average job of making it flatter. So he's got that vertical approach angle that's a little bit flatter than average, which is good. But one of the things that really sticks out to me is like his locations that he does a really good job of spotting that fastball up right along the border of the strike zone, that upper border of the strike zone. So that where that location is, that's going to feed into um, getting you swinging strike rates. Guys are going to swing under it a lot. And then even if they do make contact, since it's up there, that's going to generally lead to a lot of fly balls and especially a lot of pop-ups. And that's something that him and um, Paul Seawald, another guy in, in number two on this list, actually, they're both really good at like inducing poor fly balls that they mitigate contact in that way that you know those are going to be automatic outs or low batting average sure every once in a while you might give up a home run but for the most part those are going to be uh batted balls that, that it's really that it's a lot easier to to manage that you're gonna you're gonna re- reduce your stress for you know you didn't get that swinging strike but that ball in play is not really going to do a lot of damage to you and that's one of the benefits that kind of plv can provide is because location, all of that other, all those other factors are incorporated. I have an idea. PLV has an idea of what that contact quality will look like based on what his pitches are like. And so I, I can tend to believe a little bit more that his contact management skills are very good. In addition to, um, I think that he has a 
kind of a lot of potential as a like a, a CSW, especially from a, a swinging strike standpoint. That I think that mm-hmm. he has uh, a lot, a lot that he can provide there. Great. Um, and you mentioned Paul Seawald, and we were talking about this prior to the podcast, but I think it would be super uh, helpful for our listeners to hear this because number two is Paul Seawald. Number three is Emmanuel Classe. Classe is somebody that you expect to see on top of leaderboards like this because his stuff is so incredible and he does have a lot of success. Paul Seawald finds a lot of success, but he does it in different ways. And it's super weird to see two pitchers that are so different. Well, they pitch from the same side, but they are almost complete opposites in how they go about finding success. So I'd love for you to sort of explain how pitchers can have such similar numbers via PLV yet be so different. And then Rick follow up with how you are incorporating PLV into your rankings and, and, and your draft strategy. Yeah. So just to start out again, another one of the benefits that I think, and it's been especially helpful with relievers, is it it gives a, a reliable estimate kind of of what their batted ball profile looks like. Are they a ground ball pitcher? So in this case, like Class A PLV, according to PLV, he's a, a true talent, sixty plus ground ball rate guy. That that's that's going to be great. That that's you're not going to get a lot of damage on the ground. Sure, an occasional single will sneak by, but you know, even sometimes you'll get a, you'll turn double play out of it. Um, and so that that'll help you there. So he does a really good job, kind of mitigating contact on that end by keeping everything on the ground. While Seawald is kind of the opposite. That he does a really good job. He's got um, a fastball that uh, you know it's kind of slow. I was actually one of the comps for. Uh, Matsui, I know we talked about him earlier, but I thought he could be kind of like a poor man's Paul Seawald, like a, but from the left side, he's got, so Seawald's got that, that three quarter, that low arm slot, low nineties, uh, velo on the four seam, but it's, it's got a, it, it really gets up on hitters that it's, it's got a really funky, like crazy rise to it. It's very flat. So it really kind of pops up on them. And I think in an unexpected way, and from some of the stuff I read about Matsui, that that may be something kind of that he has to play with. Um, but in regard yeah, in five, eight, he's throwing from a little bit of a lower angle. So I hope it's got some vertical. Yeah. It was a yeah. vertical break, <laughs> but yeah, so that like it's the, both of them are solid at strikeouts. You know, they're not your Edwin Diaz, your Josh Hader, crazy strikeout guys, but they'll definitely get their K's. Um, and then both of them are, uh, I think, very good at managing contact, but they just do it in such diverse or divergent ways. They class A's on that extreme ground ball end, while Seawald's that extreme fly ball pop up end. And both mm-hmm. of those generally result in easy outs that help get them through innings where um, maybe you know not having strikeouts uh, allows them to. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I mean, we're going to get a little bit off reliever topic right now, but just like Bethesda and uh, Matsui, I, I feel like I'm sure uh, PLV is going to love Emanaga, um 20 inches of induced vertical break from him. I know the problem with him has been in Japan. He he likes to work at the bottom of the zone, but if he can work, you know, the middle, the, the top half of the zone with that, with that type of uh uh, vertical break, then he's going to be, I, I don't care if he only throws 92, he's going to be, he's going to be big time. And uh, I think he might be a steal when all is said and done, but um, you know, for, for PLV and I know Kyle just kind of, we, we reached um, released, you know, V one of the 
PLV projections. So I'm definitely looking and diving into those and that will be used to help kind of fine tune my, you know, updated projections when those come out in February. And, um, you know, it's, it's always good. It's, you know, there's, it's nice to have the metrics per pitcher, but it's also nice to be able to break it down by pitch. And, you know, with relievers, it's like, it's, you know, if you have one really standout pitch, that's kind of, you know, that that's definitely a start. I mean, you, some guys, there's a lot of relievers who only like l- rely on one pitch. So, it's not necessarily the whole repertoire. It's sometimes one or two pitches that, you know, that's all you really have to, to look at and, you know, hope that other, that the pl- the player themselves or the team, you know, they can work with them to kind of, you know, Hey, this is what you do best. Um, you know, have some faith that they'll be able to make the, the proper changes. So um, it's definitely, you know, useful to have a tool like this to, to kind of, get into the the actual just putting a value on pitchers or pitches by pitcher and um it's really useful to have and it's i feel like the pitcher the pitches are almost more valuable for relievers especially with um you know there's less pitches to work with in general so breaking it down by that is is definitely a big help Awesome. Well, to wrap up the top five of last year's PLV leaders, we've got Griffin Jackson, Evan Phillips. Don't have to talk too much about Evan Phillips, but it's interesting to see Jacks now at the top of the leaderboard after last year being one of the guys, maybe the only guy we pointed out that had unfavorable projections from PLV. And uh, it, it might oh, be interesting right. to, to dig into why things have changed there. Um, it looks like his PLV last year was 5.21 in 2022, but then 2023 was 5.36. So it's not like a lot has changed there. So I'll let Kyle answer this one. What do you think was the main factor in his projections if his PLV numbers didn't change that much that could really um, result in him having unfavorable projections in the previous year? It looks like this upcoming year, he's got favorable projections, the 12th best ERA among relievers. Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question. And that gets into kind of what these pitcher list projections have been. So in the past, um, what we did, especially last year, the the first year that we had PLV, especially in the preseason, um, I assisted in the, the projections, but what they actually ended up being was they, they had a very heavy lean on um, Ariel Cohen's ATC projections that they were very kind of heavily regressed towards what his projections said. So it was kind of, uh, ATC with like a little sprinkling of PLV on top to kind of give it a different, a little different flavor, but the, the main dish is kind of still the same thing this year that it's a completely different process. So functionally it's apples and oranges, what the pictureless projections were last year to what they are this year, this year, they're a hundred percent generated by me based on kind of, um, a combination of, a pitcher's historical stats, what their underlying stats were, and then also, of course, what their um, PLV metrics are and folding those three things together and regressing, weighting, all that fun stuff into a our 2024 PLV projection. So that's the difference. I think um, last year, I think Griffin Jacks probably had a, a pretty rough 
projection by ATC, and so that skewed his pitcher list projection down. But now that it's generated entirely in-house with PLV being pretty heavily weighted, he's going to rocket up that list because Griffin Jacks has been one of those PLV darlings. That makes a lot of sense. Well, that, that's super exciting now that we're sort of on our own and we can really set ourselves apart with these projections. And I'll, I'll use that as a transition into the projections. If you want to go check out the PLV leaders, go uh, hop on pitcherlist.com. Uh, consider signing up for PL Plus or PL Pro so you can have access to even more uh, secret information that will help you give get an edge over your over your league mates. But the PLV projections, uh, when are those set to come out uh, for everyone, or are they already out for everyone? So I think the PL, I think the projections are going to be for our uh, PL Plus members. So you do uh-huh. have to subscribe to Pitcher List. Um, I'm working right now with our database team to get those incorporated on the site. So they'll have like a a nice fun page right now. They're kind of um, hosted in in a private Google sheet, but yeah, eventually those will be on the site, you know, for you to see with a PL plus subscription. And we're going to be folding those into our other various uh, tools, things like uh, auction draft calculators in season, um, your daily fantasy kind of things will be, generating from these projections because we'll be maintaining these for rest of season so that those are all that's all going to be part of your pl plus subscription awesome i'm super pumped so if you need any more reason to get a pl plus or pl pro subscription other than supporting uh, a, a website full of incredible uh, authors and editors and and graphic designers and Kyle Bland's uh, (laughs) (laughs) on top of that (laughs) people. Sure. Um, (laughs) On top of that, we've also got tons of exciting stats that you won't find anywhere else. Um, But I'm going to dive into these projections. We've got about 10 minutes left. Um, So I'll I'll sort of, I sort of just want to pick out a couple names that sort of interest me at this point. um, (laughs) Always, always uh, reward the listeners for, sticking around this long and, and, you know, joining this, this podcast where, where we got uh, our special guest Kyle Bland on, um, obviously at the top of, I, I've got it sorted by projected ERA. Obviously at the top, you've got the best arms, uh, Edwin Diaz, Devin Williams, Manuel Class A. that's, that's expected. Um, but some of the ones that stand out, I, I think for me, if you're combining ERA with strikeout rate, which is usually, uh, what we're looking for, especially, if we're talking about guys that aren't going to be getting saves, I think DL Hall is the first right. one that stands out to me. He had a lot of success in September last year. He looked really great in the playoffs. He was a top pitching prospect as a starter, but had always struggled with command. And I think moving to the bullpen might help him a lot. And there is a shot that he could be maybe the best reliever in this Baltimore bullpen next year. He's projected for a 3.11 ERA with a 32 and a half percent strikeout rate. Those are incredible numbers. Um, Rick, does this get you excited to sort of bump haul up your hold rankings? Yeah, for sure. Now that it looks like uh I, I don't know if they've fully, fully committed to him being a reliever, but um, the tea leaves are definitely pointing that way. And we saw, we talked about it a little bit in the playoffs with him and, you know, how good he looked, uh, and how he good he looked out of the bullpen. And like, this is, 
I mean, it's easy to make that comp, the, the, you know, the Josh Hader, AJ Puck kind of comp, comp where it's, you know, this, this left-handed starter turn reliever. But I mean, it, it, it could be the real deal of Hall here because there's huge strikeout upside with him and, and a relief role. Um, I, I do hope that they, that that's the, that's, you know, they don't really tinker with him too much and they just let him do what he did in October and, yeah, I, I these projections are like at first I was like wow, but then I was like you know what that actually you know from what we saw like that's totally totally doable from him. Uh, it wouldn't be too shocking at all if he's if he has sixty five you know relief outings this year. And Kyle, what's setting DL Hall apart from other relievers? Why does he look like the one standout who has yet to have a really incredible season yet is having? just incredible projections compared to the other guys on here. I think it gets into what we talked about a little bit before of, you know, guys who are starters, you need a handful of pitches to, to get you through that workload, to get you through a starters amount of innings. But when you can, can focus and specialize as a reliever, you know, as Rick said, if you have one really good pitch that can take you really far. And I think, I think his fastball is, it's mm-hmm. pretty special. It's it created incredibly by PLV last year. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest tricks that it has going for it is it his his release location. He he releases it at seven feet, which is pretty upper tier uh, extension. So that's already on top of batters. He throws it ninety five and a half, so not you know crazy fast, but still above average. It gets it it's a solid movement profile, nothing too special there. It is a little bit um flatter, so like that vertical approach angle, it comes in on batters a little up. And one of the things now I'm I'm looking at kind of his his relative location charts is that he he just doesn't throw it in the middle. That yeah. like he did a great job of avoiding just the heart of the plate, which is gonna benefit all pitchers, but especially kind of a reliever who can maybe afford to nibble and go deeper into counts, working around the edges, hunting for that strikeout that I think that that's a, that's a pretty useful skill for him. And especially, you know, Baltimore changed their dimensions of the park a little bit. So it's a little more pitcher friendly now that I think he's a guy who has that, that one really great pitch, that fastball that can, that can really play up and he can just let it eat out of the bullpen that, yeah, I'm excited. I, selfishly hope that they just let, keep him in relief so that he can be like fully unleashed and just uncork every throw. But I totally get why if you've got those traits, you know, maybe you try and make him a starter. So I, I'm fascinated to see what they do with that. Another lefty. And I have no idea what the heck's going on here, but Tim Heron projected for a 3.43 ERA, but also a 5.69 FIP and a 26% strikeout rate. If he does have a three and a half year array and a 26% strikeout rate, he would be one of the best relievers in the guardians bullpen. But how, like what is going on with your projections where they project somebody to have such disparate projections between an ERA and a FIP? Like, is it just you're, you're projecting good luck or is there something else that goes into that? Um, I, yeah, there's like a luck projection that goes into it. So, like I said, you have things like various batted ball outcomes, and so that that'll get into like your singles, doubles, triples. So those won't be included in FIP or or even just um, ball and play outs. That those aren't going to be included in your like traditional FIP calculation, but that are output into PLV and 
the PLA, which is kind of the, the ERA estimator from, from PLV, that there are a lot of things kind of that, that fold into it. Yeah, he's definitely kind of on the weirder end uh, as far as that, that disparity between those two things. But um, I think at least on the projection side that it seems like he's got a profile that can kind of work with that. Um, I'm doing a little bit more for version two of the projections that I'm going to lend a little bit more importance to various batted ball profiles. So he might, he might drop a little bit down. So kind of, you know, get closer towards that, that FIP number, especially because he's such a, you know, he's a, a high, a high walk, great low strikeout guy, but, um, Oh yeah, and I'm looking through it again. It's it's version one of this that there's you know I'm I'm working through some bugs. So I think right now there's a it seems like there's an issue with his left on base rate right now. I think I'm it's Jesus ninety one percent. But that's the thing. <laughs> uh, it's that's uh, that's something I'm definitely gonna have to look at. I'm gonna have to tweak a little bit. Just uh, that's that stands out, and I, that's why I love kind of talking through with people. And right. feel free to to message me to DM me. I'm, I'm keeping notes of all these things that like that doesn't make sense or. How, like, do you really think that? And so, like, yeah, I'm looking through, same thing uh, on the projections. Prelander, Barroa, and Seattle kind of has the same thing, like a mid threes, high uh, ERA, high fives, fifth, and it's the same uh, same issue. So mm-hmm. these are some of the guys I'm going to go through. Um, there might just be kind of some weird funkiness with how their PLV projections interact with some of their results that – you know, they might skew one way on one and the other way on the other. And so it kind of can make for some of these interesting relationships. But yeah, suffice to say, I'm definitely going to be, I'm digging into these all off season. I'm going to be making tweaks. So make sure to keep, keep checking in, keep checking out for the the most up-to-date ones. But yeah, I think, I don't know that I would really bank on Tim Heron and <laughs> Glander Barilla being mid three ERA arms. For- for what it's worth, I mean, for what it's worth, Tim Heron is there is some interesting things going on here with him. Um, you know, he's six six, throws ninety seven from the left side, pretty good extension. Um, yeah, and he's got he's got good numbers at the minors too, so it, it's not totally unreasonable. Um, and he did have, I mean, in the majors last year, he did deal with some bad luck with a three point six one. Or a three sixty one BABIP. So, yeah, I I, I mean, there, there's some interest there. There's there's a good fastball slider mix for Herring. Um, but yeah, it is. It's it's still obviously it does stand out a little bit. Um, being mm-hmm. that high up there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Kyle, we'll definitely have to have you on later in the off season, especially when you've yes. got the final version of these projections. But as we mentioned before, make sure to sign up for PL Plus or PL Pro so you can have access to these when they do go public. And also so you can support a website full of writers such as Rick and myself. And we're also podcasters as as you've listened for over an hour. Um, but that's going to wrap up our, our time talking about PLV. I'm sure we could dive into these players for, for hours on end, but we'll save that for another time. Kyle, why don't you plug your social media, tell people where they can find you and let us know what you're working on for the next month. Yeah, so you can find me. I'm on Twitter at Blandalytics. So that's Bland Analytics combined. Um, I'm putting out a bunch of stuff there. I generally tweet out a lot of 
uh, pretty charts, probably too many of them. Uh, I'm no, working on never too many. right never now. Too many. I pitch in a bunch of different. Uh, I'm tweaking a bunch of our. We have our picture list web apps, so I'm adding a bunch of functionality to them. Things like relative location for pitches or hit maps for heater or sorry hit maps for hitters so that you can see where they're good at making contact or making decisions so i'm always adding stuff to that you can always dm me i'm, I'm happy to take requests or ideas or suggestions um i'm like i said I'm, I'm updating working through kind of version two of these projections folding in a lot more things getting a lot more feedback figuring out you know stress testing uh like we just did what's what's working and what's uh, more importantly what's not working and how to resolve that going forward so these are only going to get better kind of as the off season goes on but yeah just doing a lot of fun work trying to make pitcher list the best baseball site out there that's right it already is um <laughs> uh rick where can we find you and what are you working on with uh, in the new year uh yeah, you can find me on Twitter at I am Rick Graham. Um not working on anything in particular right now, uh as we head into the new year, but yeah, looking forward to, you know, once, you know, we get to the back end of January, things start ramping up again. So Oh yeah. Um yeah, just looking you know, looking at hopefully we get some more signings and we can place some more players on teams and kind of see how bullpens are going to work themselves out as we get closer to spring training. Awesome. And uh, you can follow me at Jake Crumpler on Twitter. I do have to write an article tonight. So by the time this podcast is out, I'm hoping that that article is out. Um, I've been procrastinating (laughs) for a while. Um, So hopefully it turns out really well, but you can catch us all off season here on in the pen. You can find the podcast at in the pen pod on twitter and you can find all of our work on pitcherlist.com but that's going to do it for this episode of in the pen talk to you guys next time